America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy sponsored by Sage One, online accounting software designed to create freedom for small businesses to succeed. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker, and on today's show, we will take on the second law of marketing, all prices are contextual. So Ron, do you want to buy my unicorn? Well, Ed, I've never bought one before, so give me some context. Yeah, exactly. That's well, and that there, in a nutshell, su- sums up our point of today's second show or show in this series, which is that all prices are contextual. Last week, we talked about what we thought is the first law of marketing, which is that all value is subjective, and. We talked about a lot of dead white economists and why we think that some were right, some were wrong, and in this evolution of understanding what value is. And that we one of the also things we said, and we'll probably touch on it again today, is that it's price that follows from value, not from cost. And we gave some examples, and we've got a lot more examples this week on the show. But Really, the, the, this this second law, it, I think, completes what we believe to be is our, our our universal theory of everything in business, and that is is that all value is subjective and all prices are contextual. And as you say, it's even bigger than that, isn't it? It's all decisions are really contextual. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we, we always compare one thing to another, and the, the, what I really like about these two laws of marketing, Ed, is when you combine them, it can help any business person not only create more value, but help them communicate more value and capture more of that value from their customers. So these two laws fit so well together, and I'm glad we were able to devote a show to each one of them. Absolutely. And and is there anything you want to say by way of backtrack on last week's show just to catch those up? I mean, first, if, if you haven't listened to last week's show, you may want to do it if, because ready for this, it will provide context for this week's show. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and I think you summed it up very nicely that it's actually value that drives price and price that drives cost. And folks, we talked about a a winery here in Napa called Farniente, and we told a a couple other stories that illustrate that, and it does provide the the background and the theory uh, also behind today's law as well. You know, and it's interesting because we, you know we were preparing for today's show and talking about it this week, and and we I got an email a, across my desk this morning that I think is an excellent example of of this, and that is that that Amazon today announced that it now has Kindle Unlimited, which allows people basically to read any Kindle. But well, it's not. See, and I, as upon further review, Ron, I did find out that. Kindle Unlimited is actually limited, so there is some limitation. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> right? But the long and short is that for $9.99 a month, Kindle will or Amazon will let you look at, at 600,000 titles, stream uh, as well as audio books, and it's you know, 10 bucks a month. 
So you're in the, or already you're, you're, that you're then having to fill in the context for that, right? You're trying to figure out, well, how many books do I buy a month? Will, will, will the books that I want be on the list? All right. So it's just an example of where all prices are contextual. And then if it were truly unlimited, if it was really on any title that Amazon offered or was available, it might be even harder to put, to put a price on it, wouldn't it? It, it, it does, Ed. By saying unlimited, they, they're actually making it difficult for me to compare it to something else. If they were to put an artificial limit on it, say 500 books a month or 200 or whatever, that might be more understandable. At least it would give me some context to make a comparison. Yeah, I mean, and even or and like you said, some absurd number like five hundred. No one's going to look at five hundred books a month. I mean, not even you know who the Evelyn Wood uh, is going to get going to power through five hundred books a month. But it, it would put context around it, wouldn't it? You would go maybe, oh, okay, so that's you know twenty cents a book or whatever. I don't not doing the math right, but the the, 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 the context. Yeah, exactly. The the failure to be able to make a comparison could actually make this fail in terms of its message to, to customers. And and what's really interesting is by having an artificial nobody's gonna tell them in a focus group, Oh yeah, I would do this, but you need to be stingy at first, you know, make it just five hundred books a month or something, right? I mean it's not intuitive, it's not something that you pick up in marketing research. You have to understand how we humans make decisions. And we do that in terms of context. We compare one thing to another. Yep. There you go. Talking about, you know, those human beings again, Ron. We want, we would just want numbers, facts and figures. That's all we want. It's business. Right, right. I know there's no room for human emotion or bias or prejudice or whatever. But uh, yeah, and I guess that kind of also to sum up last week too, another very uh, distinct thing is, you know, if you ask people, why, why are you in business? Uh, I ask that question a lot. And a lot of people say, well, to make a profit, but we really know that that's really not the purpose of a business. The purpose of a business, uh, Peter Drucker thought, was to create a customer, and we're saying it's it's to create value outside of our four walls. And, and Peter Drucker also made another point, Ed, that I think ties these two laws together very nicely, that the two functions that matter in any business are marketing and innovation. Because it's only marketing and innovation that create results. All the rest are costs. And the customer doesn't really care about the cost. It's something he called the marketing function. And I love it because it's simple, but it's not simplistic. Right. Well, the marketing concept. Concept, right? Right, right. Marketing concept. Sorry. Yes. And and is that that the, that the, the five Ps too or the four Ps? Well, Peter Drucker didn't come up with those. Some other, I think a marketing professor did. I forget his name. But uh, but I love the idea that marketing and innovation are what create results outside of an organization. All the other functions, finance and HR and all, they're all internal. And the customer doesn't really care about any of that. It's kind of what we were illustrating last week as well when we talked about the difference between seeing the baby and hearing about the labor pains, right? Yep. The customer is interested in the baby. Very true. I mean, this this whole idea of, of positioning, too. I mean, and we have a colleague at Verisage, Tim Williams, who's done extensive work on this concept of, of positioning and how 
professional organizations, but it doesn't be you know Tim's working in 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 this the arena of professional organizations. But really, it's it's anyone. Uh, there, there's a great example of a Rory Sutherland talks about who, by the way, and uh, folks, we're going to have Rory on in a couple of weeks. Real excited about that. Uh, yes, absolutely. Show, shows a great a great video about Shreddies, the Canadian cereal that had uh, I don't know it's like a 400 percent increase in sales where they where they where they put the shreddy 45 degrees and call it diamond shreddies <laughs> rather than square right? rather than square right <laughs> I mean and a huge increase in sales and what is great about that is that it was an innovation but it was a, a, almost com- combining these two functions together it was a marketing innovation they did not change the product in the slightest but they had an increase to sales because they and, and and I'm using literally correctly here. They literally change the position, right? So firms and organizations can change their position in the marketplace and the perception that outsiders have of them through their marketing message and thereby create value for the customer just in how they position themselves. This is a really hard thing for a lot of people to get their minds around because it's not where you don't see it on an income statement or balance sheet anywhere. Exactly, Ed. And, and I think, you know, we always talk about the category mistakes that so many business people make about assuming that value only lies in, in producing tangible things, you know, things that you can drop on your foot that, that can hurt you. And, and they downplay or discount the value that happens from marketing, from innovation, or even some of the more intangible ways that businesses create value. Certainly a brand is very intangible. Right. Hey, tell us a little bit more about this. This because I, I know you you are in my world that one of the foremost authorities on on Peter Drucker. You've I think you've read everything Drucker has ever written. No, uh, I doubt that. Well, all of his books <laughs> for sure, and, and many many of his scholarly articles. But but talk a little bit more about this marketing concepts and results on the outside. How did he come to that? Uh, yeah, you know, this was something he wrote about in the 60s in one of his books, and I've, it always just has stuck with me because it's so simple, but at the same time, it's not simplistic. And we always talk about genius being the other side of simple, right? And what he said was all organizations, not just businesses, all organizations exist to create results outside of themselves. So the result of a school is an educated child. The result of a hospital is a cured patient. The result of a church is a safe soul. Well, what's the result of a business? Hopefully a satisfied, delighted customer who comes back, maybe spends more, buys more from you, refers other people to you. Well, all of those results exist on the outside. And it was actually Peter Drucker, Ed, who coined the term profit center. I believe it was in his first book, uh, uh, his study of General Motors in 1947. And he wrote about this idea of a profit center, which was a term that was not well used, but certainly became part of the lexicon in most businesses. And in 1997, in a Harvard Business Review interview, he renounced that and said it was one of the biggest mistakes he made in his life, which I found interesting. And he said, because there's no such thing as a profit center in a business, the only profit center a business has is a customer's check that doesn't bounce. Yeah, and then that is so entirely profound. I mean, I think yes, last week we talked about John Mackey and, and profits being the lifeblood of or being compared to blood, but he says purpose is really outside. 
the the organization, right? It's you know the, the it's really corporate existentialism in a way. The the why of of the business, the why of the business of of the individuals that make up that business. Um, and just a, by way of a quick example of this, and and I, I think this is an interesting story. I did some work back in the the mid '90s for a company called Amfar, the American Foundation for AIDS Research, and. The, the, you want to talk about somebody that really understood their customers. I mean, this was a, a, an organization founded by Elizabeth Taylor in the 1980s to combat AIDS. And, you know, you can imagine that the people who were, were working there were, were not doing so for, for the bucks, right? They had had a friend, loved one, uh, significant other spouse that had died of this dreaded disease. And we're doing this mundane sure. accounting implementation, right? A new accounting system uh, for, for, for this, this uh, organization. But I had an, inter- an interview with the CFO, and when I asked him, I said, so what's the purpose of your business? And he told me it was to go out of business. <laughs> right. Right. And and how absolutely <laughs> profound that was that, you know, that, yes, it really mucked up my next question, which was how can I help you do that? Right. <laughs> so, right. Right. But the, yeah. but the reality was <laughs> that we that we were helping them do that in a way, because in putting in this mundane accounting system, we were going to be taking hundreds of thousands of dollars out of the administrative budget. And where was it going to go? Well, it was going to go to AIDS research. Right. So, right. so this this whole idea of, but and I and I and I, that it kind of gelled on me at that moment until I met you. Then years later, when I said, "Oh, this this also works in profit organizations as well, right? It's not just the not for profits where this exists. It's also in profit organizations that the results are outside the organization." Right, exactly. And, and I just want to be clear that we're not arguing against profit. I mean, Ed and I understand the importance of profit. Go profit! I think, <laughs> right, I, I think we have maybe a little bit def, different definition. I think of profit the way Drucker does is the price that we pay for tomorrow. And it, it George Gilder says it's a measure of, it's an index of altruism, right? Which is an interesting thing to look at as well. But no doubt about it, profit is important, but it can't be the major focus of your business. And maybe when we come back, Ed, I'll give you another definition that I really love from the person that I believe is the true father of the customer service movement, somebody who, who knew everything about customer service uh, some 60 or 70 years ago. And so, folks, when we come back uh, from this break from our sponsor, Sage One, we will discuss what Stanley Marcus said why you're in business, how he answered that question. And we'll be back after the short break. Are you interested in the topics discussed on the soul of enterprise? Would you like to explore them in more detail? Visit verisage.com forward slash books for links to Ron Baker's books. Titles such as Pricing on Purpose, Measure What Matters to Customers, and his latest, Implementing Value Pricing. You can also find a wealth of resources, case studies, and frequently asked questions. Learn more about Ed and Ron and their radio show at verisage.com forward slash T-S-O-E and follow Ron on LinkedIn. He's one of the influencer bloggers. 
As an entrepreneur, you're on an adventure. But there are parts of your business, like revenue and expenses, that don't feel very adventurous. At Sage One, we get it. We give you tools like easy invoicing, simple accounting, and reporting, so you can tackle your less exciting tasks by automating them. Stronger control of the numbers means more opportunities for profits. Sage One has integrated payment options that can actually increase your cash flow. Getting paid faster? Yes, please. It's time to take the boring out of business and get back in the action. Visit SageOne.com today. Your free trial is waiting. Do you work in, lead, or own a professional firm? Do you like what you hear from Ron and Ed on the Soul of Enterprise? Come see them live at the Affinia Manhattan Hotel in New York City on August 14th and 15th at the Sage Firm of the Future Symposium. Ron and Ed will help you and your organization make the transformation to a modern professional knowledge firm, one that is paid for value, not time. Visit Verisage.com forward slash firm for more details. That's Verisage.com forward slash firm. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Kless. To find out more about our show, visit Verisage.com. You may also tweet us at Verisage. That's V-E-R-A-S-A-G-E. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. And, and you can always reach me or Ed at T-S-O-E. That stands for The Soul of Enterprise. T-S-O-E at Verisage.com. We have received a few emails from some of you, and we always look forward to your questions and or feedback about the show. So, Ed, we kind of left off on Stanley Marcus, and let me just say something very briefly, if I can, about Stanley Marcus, who, who my brother, Ken Baker, uh, discovered long before I did. He was reading this guy in the 70s, and I started reading him, I believe, in the 90s, and I just realized what a profound thinker this, this gentleman was. He was one of the sons of one of the founders of Neiman Marcus, which opened in, in your neck of the woods, Ed, there in Dallas. And Stanley Marcus ran the store. It never lost money during his, his uh, tenure, and he ran it through the Great Depression. I think he took over sometime in the 30s, so, you know, Neiman Marcus sells a lot of high-end things. He was also quite innovative. He, talk about marketing and innovation being the main functions of a business he was very innovative he did the christmas catalog he did the his and her gifts he invented the uh, fashion show all of these different things and this is what he said about profit and way i've ever heard it described he said you're not in business to make a profit but to provide a service so good people willing willingly pay you a profit in recognition of what you're doing for them and in the store which I think is simply the best business book on customer service ever written. It's called Minding the Store by Stanley Marcus. And I just love how, how that makes so much sense. Yeah, no, it's it's great stuff, and and I think it, you know d- just to leverage off of that, we I, I I've just recently become a huge fan of uh, Mr. Selfridge, and uh, Ron, we talked about this earlier. You haven't seen it, but you've got got to take a look at it. Same same kind of deal on uh, about uh, Harry Gordon Selfridge. In fact, he he was the one who invented the phrase only 
X shopping days until Christmas, believe it or not. That's one of his uh, claims to fame and, and, and marketing. But again, you know, this whole idea of value really coming from innovation and innovative marketing and marketing innovation, right? So the, the, those two words keep coming back to us over and over again that it's, it's marketing and, and innovation. We, we have a little model that we've used, Ron, right? The five C's of value to try to talk about this. And they stand for, it stands for comprehend, create, communicate, convince, and capture. And really last week, what we were talking about under the first law of marketing was this idea of comprehending and creating value. And what we want to focus the rest of the today on is this idea of communicating, convincing, and then even capturing that value through through your price. And why don't you tell us a little bit about the email that you received from one of our listeners uh, about uh, something that he, that he had, an experience that he had with this. Right. Yeah, this was an email I got yesterday from Bryce, and I believe he runs uh, an advertising agency. And he said, uh, while justifying price, we quoted yesterday based on the value it would bring to his company. This is a conversation he's having with it. With a- all right, we're definitely losing Ron here, so appreciate. It. I'm just gonna gonna pick up on this at this point. But it's a email email we got uh, where where. This guy said to Ron that he can't – he wanted to share something humorous that happened in in a conversation with Ron. So this guy said, while justifying a price we quoted yesterday based on the value that it would take to bring to his company. So a lot of the things that we were talking about uh, last week, you know, that value is subjective. uh, He said that he didn't – that value should have nothing to do with the price that he's willing to pay and that instead that that he, he didn't want to talk about value. Right, he did not want to talk about this idea of value because uh, what would happen? Well, he felt the price would go up, and what what Bryce was was talking about really interesting was the fact that he himself was the one who had effectively trained or educated this customer to to think like this, right? Because as we mentioned last week, and trying to justify one's costs all the time. Uh, you you really make this mistake of 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 saying that your price is somehow based on your cost. So pretty bizarre that uh, that 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 this would happen. Ron, are you back now? You're on the phone with us. I am, Ed. Sorry about that. I don't know what happened. Having technical difficulties here. Well, I just finished t- t- go- talking through the Bryce story. So why don't you give us your thoughts on on uh, that email that you got from Bryce? Yeah, I think what this illustrates, Ed, is that it's, it's, it's so important how we communicate value to our customers. And in this particular instance, since it's an advertising agency, a professional firm, their frame of value is, is hourly, right? What's your hourly rate? What's your hourly rate? So it kind of goes back to the labor pains, right? Focusing on the labor pains, the inside of the business rather than outside of the business where all the value is created. And this is the way this industry has educated its customers. It's what I call ballistic podiatry. (laughs) I mean, this is a clear example of shooting ourselves in the foot. I mean, we have met the enemy, and and he is us, right? And I I told Bryce, I said, you know, you're going to have to do some work on, on reframing your value with your customers. And luckily, that's what this show is talking about. Well, and, and let's, so let's go back. We've, we've talked about Bryce now, but let's go back to this idea of communicating, 
convincing and capturing value. And, and let's take them in order. So let's, let's talk about this idea of communicating value. Right. And, and I think one of the most effective ways to communicate value, because if you think about it, it's the one area that both parties have aligned interests, right? We have an interest as, as businesses to maximize the value that we're providing to our customers, and they have an interest to, to get maximum value. Of course, they want it at the cheapest price. We want it at a higher price. So talking about price is not where our interests are aligned, right? Talk about value is where our interests align because you, we both want to maximize it, and that's much better framing in terms of having a discussion or doing marketing or advertising or branding. It's all, it should all be around value because that's what everybody's trying to maximize. Right, and as we talked about last week, they don't care about your costs. They always are going to want your price to be lower, so value is the only place that we, where we agree. Right, and, and so that's part of communicating the value and then convincing the customer that they must pay for that value. I think, Ed, one of the best ways to do this is to offer options to your customers. We always use the American Express example, you know, the gold card and uh, the green card and the platinum card and, and giving the customer a range of choices, basically different price value points. And they get to decide for themselves what price value trade-off they would like to make. That's one of the best ways to convince the customer that they must pay for your value. Well, and not only that, but in a sense, what it does is it also creates context by offering three, what we, you know, again, options or what I prefer the language, choices. And so we, you, you're creating your own context. And we're going to talk about more about that later with the different effects that we see in that. But in, in a way, uh, as one, one person who came to one of our, our seminars talked about, he says, well, it, it forces me to compete with myself, which – I, I think is a brilliant way to 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 think uh, about it, right? Is that they've got to compete with themselves, and, and th- this is an interesting story. We had uh, I had someone who about two years ago went through a program I did where we were talking about offering choice, and he sent me an email uh, a couple of weeks after. He said, "I just want to want to thank you for this idea of offering choices to my customers, different different options on, on almost the same the, the same basic product, but then creating choices around it because and, th- and this." This was what the guy said. He said, um, I, when I sent it to this one customer, the guy said to me, thank you so much for giving me these three different choices. My bo- boss wanted me to get three choices, and now that you've given me three, I don't have to go elsewhere. Right. <laughs> That's one of my favorite stories. What, talk about an unintended consequence right. of and, offering and, choices. Know, just so huge, right? Because, I mean, now, look, that's an outlier. I get it. That's not going to happen on a regular basis, right? Right. So, and it's not going to always happen. But the the point is, is that as human beings, there we go again, talking about human beings and not facts and figures and numbers, we, we want... We want context. We want choice. It helps us make a better decision, even if that sometimes better decision is to spend more money than we had anticipated in the first place. Right. I, you know, that, that old Wendy's commercial, I don't know if you remember that, Ed, from the old uh, Cold War days of, of, you know, nobody likes no choices, and it's the Soviet <laughs> right. Union's fashion show. I think it's one of the best commercials ever made. Uh, but, yeah, life would be dull 
without choices. When we fly, we get to decide whether or not we're going to sit in first class or business class or coach or what kind of room we're going to get in a hotel or a rental car. I mean, this this also does is it proves that there's not one optimal price for our product or service. There's a range, range of optimal prices, and good pricers need to search that range. And that's also another important component to capturing the value that you're creating for your customer, which is the last of the five C's. Right. And we, under, we recognize and understand that people who are listening to the show are different industry segments. And, and, and you know, in some cases, it, like in, in professional organizations, they will have a chance to have a, a value conversation with each and every customer. But in other industries, it's you're not going to potentially have that chance to have a one-on-one individual conversation with a, with a prospective customer. So what, they, what you have to do is you still have to search, search those things out. And what I find fascinating around this in, in talking with this to all kinds of people across all different sectors is that the light bulb goes on oftentimes with them and they even when, when they start to say to me, oh, I see where my drive my cleaner's doing this to me, and I see where, where the car wash is doing this to me, and Starbucks with Tall Grande Venti, and they get really fired up about it because it's true. It's, it is absolutely everywhere once you start to take a look around. It is absolutely everywhere. And, and when we get back, we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit more about this idea of offering choices and maybe even the idea of creating some choices. Uh, and we're also going to take on something that we promised to talk about last week, which was this idea of supply and demand. So we look forward to that. But just before we go to break, I want a, a quick reminder that if you would like to interact with us, we would love to have you. TSOE, The Soul of Enterprise, at verisage.com is an email that will address that will go th- go both to Ron and myself. You can follow us on Twitter at, at @verisage, and then also uh, play along in the conversation with uh, hashtag. We're going to start doing hashtag Ron hashtag TSOE, and you and I are both beginning to monitor that. So if there's some folks who want to ask us a question on Twitter and can't remember Verisage how to spell Verisage, then that, that's that's the way to go. So right after this, with a break, we will be talking about supply and demand and price discrimination. Do you work in, lead, or own a professional firm? Do you like what you hear from Ron and Ed on the Soul of Enterprise? Come see them live at the Affinia Manhattan Hotel in New York City on August 14th and 15th at the Sage Firm of the Future Symposium. Ron and Ed will help you and your organization make the transformation to a modern professional knowledge firm, one that is paid for value, not time. Visit Verisage.com forward slash firm for more details. That's Verisage.com forward slash firm. As an entrepreneur, you're on an adventure. But there are parts of your business, like revenue and expenses, that don't feel very adventurous. At Sage One, we get it. We give you tools like easy invoicing, simple accounting and reporting, so you can tackle your less exciting tasks by automating them. Stronger control of the numbers means more opportunities for profits. Sage One has integrated payment options that can actually increase your cash flow. Getting paid faster? Yes, please. It's time to take the boring out of business and get back in the action. Visit SageOne.com today. Your free trial is waiting. Are you interested in the topics discussed on the Soul of Enterprise? Would you like to explore them in more detail? 
Visit verisage.com forward slash books for links to Ron Baker's books. Titles such as Pricing on Purpose, Measure What Matters to Customers, and his latest, Implementing Value Pricing. You can also find a wealth of resources, case studies, and frequently asked questions. Learn more about Ed and Ron and their radio show at verisage.com forward slash T-S-O-E and follow Ron on LinkedIn. He's one of the influencer bloggers. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Kless. To find out more about our show, visit Verisage.com. You may also tweet us at Verisage. That's V-E-R-A-S-A-G-E. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. All right, and we're back. Well, last week on the show, as we mentioned, we talked a lot lot about some dead economists and even some living ones. And the subject of that we are always hearing about when we talk about value is okay. But what about supply and demand? What about supply and demand? How does that factor in? Because everybody remembers their you know econ two hundred one course where they where they drew those neat little curves. You know, we had supply and demand, and we had a little X, and we we're like, and that's the optimal price, and everybody was happy about it, and we cheered and said, ah, this is so easy because it's it's we can just break it down to math. But <laughs> one economist Ed said we could basically just train a parrot to say supply and demand, and you'd have an economist. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I mean, supply and demand is a great theory, no doubt about it, and and there is no doubt that. Part of the context that customers are going to compare your offerings to are your competitors. And that's where supply and demand enters this. And, you know, it's probably a good thing that we're not paying the full price of, for products and services based on how much we value them. You know, I probably value my eyeglasses more than I pay for them. We value a lot of things much, much, much more. And competition is what drives the prices down or has a tendency to. But that said, Ed, what I think there's the missing gap when most people say supply and demand has a way to drive prices down, they don't realize that that's just a tendency. It's not an iron law. And the other component to supply and demand is this thing called price discrimination, Whoa, now, whoa, 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 discrimination. <laughs> yes. We can't, I, I have, need, we can't have that, Ron. Y- yes, I know. I, I, need, I need to qualify this by saying it's obviously not discrimination based on race, sex, religion, ethnicity. This was a term that was used, first used, I believe, in 1920. So this term has been around for a long time. It's called various other things today, like yield management, dynamic pricing, revenue management, you call it what you want, but I still think of it as price discrimination because that's how I was taught in, from all these different economists. But the point is, Ed, that this is the holy grail for most businesses when it comes to their pricing function. And one of my favorite examples of this is book publishers. The cost, say, between uh, producing a hardcover versus a paperback book we know the price difference is pretty big, right? Say roughly 30 bucks for a hardcover when it first comes out, say a Harry Potter novel or John Grisham or you know, whatever. And then when it comes out in paperback, it might be 8 or $9, right? But what's the cost difference 
to the publisher of producing a hardcover versus a paperback? Well, it's zero. There is no cost difference. So you kind of have to scratch your head and go, what's going on here? Well, what's going on is they realize that different types of book customers exist, and what they want to do is get more profit from the people that have to own the book right when it comes out, the Harry Potter lovers, you know, the people that queue up at stores, whatever, and they charge them a higher price. They still want the business of the people who buy it in paperback a year and a half or a year later, but they charge them a lesser price because they know they're more price sensitive. And it's those types of strategies that you can deploy. Almost any business can deploy these types of strategies. And, and as you said, they do. If you start looking around, even Starbucks is price discriminating. Look at their menu. Right. No, absolutely. It's their, the way their, their menu is, the way it's laid out, the way that in their particular niche, they always put the lowest price first and then work their way up. There's, in a sense, a secret menu, which I order off of. I happen to be a, a fan of the cappuccino short because it's actually a properly made cappuccino and not enough that I can bathe in. Right. So right. I, 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 when I order a cappuccino at Starbucks, it's always the short. But it, it's funny, and I've, I've, I've sort of tested this. I've got this, this theory that they really don't want the rest of the world to know about the short so you know how they call out you know your drink uh, you know no, no whip foam mocha for ed right you know when, the, right. when when they call it out well when it's when i order the cappuccino short it's always like cappuccino short for ed i mean there, there's like no <laughs> no we're not yelling about it because it's not even on the menu right <laughs> But well, but there it's again it's it's a discrimination function this price discrimination that hard books but so my question to you Ron on this and this relates back to one of the things we opened the show with what about the Kindle right what about the Kindle what 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 do you think is going to happen from a pricing perspective on that well it's really interesting because as I try and decide whether or not to sign up for that unlimited Kindle I'm certainly comparing it to how many. Kindle books I buy in a given month, and is this a good deal, or will I just continue to do what I'm doing? And, and I think by not being able to make a comparison, isn't this what Spotify did, Ed? When Spotify came out, didn't they say unlimited music for $9.99 a month? Still do, yeah. They still do, yeah. Yep. And, and I, I, just, I, I think that's a, a mistake. I really do. I think you're right. I think they need to put some type of artificial limit in there. But maybe they're just trying to get that same appeal to people that, you know, how free is, a, is a very appealing to us as humans. Mm-hmm. Anything free we'll grab. Maybe that's their, maybe that's their logic. And, and let's talk about this, how this might re- relate to other businesses. You know, we, we talked about maybe professional companies or any, anyone who's who manufacturer who has some kind of a service component. Uh, it, this may, it may affect you if you say that we have unlimited whatever unlimited service calls unlimited conversations unlimited this there might there might be a challenge with that and we're not saying that we actually want you to put a a a tight limitation on things like oh you can only call us once a month or something like that i think that's i but what i think what we're suggesting here is create an artificial limit that's so high that no one would ever actually get to it but what it does is it allows you to provide context right Right, and, 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 you know, this is an insight from behavioral economics that I think is, is pretty interesting, and obviously a lot of companies now are testing it, and, and I think that's part of what Amazon is doing. They may be very well testing this, this concept of unlimited versus some type of artificial limit. 
Yeah, I, I, it's going to be interesting to see what, how, how this plays out. And of course, you know, as I, I mentioned, as, as I dug into some of the fine print, unlimited doesn't, there are limits, uh, in, including your books, Ron. Your books <laughs> are, are not on the Kindle Unlimited list. So you got to work with your publisher on that. Exactly. But you know, Ed, probably the, the, and I know people don't like to talk about this, but the airlines are fantastic at, at this yield management, if you will. Uh, because, you know, what are the odds that you paid the same airfare as the person sitting next to you on any flight today? The odds are pretty low, right? So it's because they're not pricing the seats. They're pricing the customer, or at least they're trying to, right? right? I mean, I know you fly with American. I fly with United. They don't come out and interview us every time we buy a ticket. So, Ed, why are you flying to California? You know, is it business or are you going to Disneyland? I mean, they have to devise all these little rules, but they're still price discriminating. And you know what I find interesting about it is they've educated the country. They've educated their customers that this is normal. This is good. This is a good thing. And it's worked very well for them. Absolutely. I, I can't tell you how many conversations I have had with people who are concerned that, well, what if my customers talk and I offer two different prices? Like I sit next to people all the time when I'm flying. I don't walk down the aisle saying, what'd you pay? What'd you pay? What'd you pay? What'd you pay? All right, let's storm the counter. This dude over here paid 59 bucks for the seat. We want a refund, right? right? I mean, I'm flying in this tube with them for two and a half hours or whatever, and we don't think to, we're not going to compare prices. But I think that the, the, in my opinion, the reason why that works is because they set the price up front and I decide yes or no. And I'm making a decision ahead. Of, well, I'm, I'm also spending other people's money on an expense right, account right. too, but that's a, that's an, an, another factor that we'll get into another time. But, but yes, I'm, I'm always, when I, when I am concerned about that flying, Personally, I'm making a decision to accept it, and I've accepted it. So there's no reason for me to then go through that and have that conversation with the guy sitting next to me. Hey, what'd you pay? Right, right. No, and and you know if you think about it, after they were deregulated in the '70s, if if you bought a ticket, say in early 1980, and you figured out the person next to you paid 10 percent, you were probably upset with the airlines. Today, who would you be upset with? Yeah, myself. Right, I'm not buying it sooner. I should have bought it sooner. I should have waited. I should have bought sooner. Maybe I should have used miles for this ticket. Yeah. (laughs) So they've done a very good job educating their customer. It just kind of illustrates the point that pricing changes are part of innovation. And the innovation comes from the supply side. It comes from the businesses, not the customers. I, I never got a letter from my airline asking me if they could go to yield management type pricing. Right? They just did it because it was an innovation on their side. So that leads to, I think, an interesting thing about behavioral economics and and how we humans actually make decisions. Goldilocks pricing, offering three options. Three seems to be the optimal number, doesn't it, for offering choices because so many businesses do it, small, medium, large. Starbucks, you know, outside of your example that's not on the menu, is three choices, most companies give at least three choices. It's called Goldilocks pricing, and it just seems to work. Yep, Apple, right? Uh, Shuffle, Nano, full iPod. When 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 an iPad comes out, it's always three editions. I think you know the latest is sixteen megabyte, thirty two, sixty four gigabyte. Right? They work their way up that way. They just differentiate ba- based on on that particular. There's only one particular feature. Uh, there's so there's story after story 
uh, of 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 this the, the three. I mean, go re- really go just go get your car washed. I I am yeah. almost and can almost guarantee that your car wash will offer you three choices. You know. Yep. And the smart ones offer a fourth, kind of like the American Express black card that's a detail, right? You'll get a full detail. You might even get five free coupons for your next five washes, but it will be a very high price. Yeah, and, and, but and there are some people that that you know get, get put put off by that, but but and there is a limit, right? I think there is a limit. I I personally, one of the things I don't like about Southwest Airlines, other than being kind of ca- herded around like cattle, um, is is the fact that when I go to bu- a book a flight on Southwest, sometimes I get too many choices. Correct. And 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 I and I can't figure them out. Like there's sometimes seven choices. By the way, for the same flight. Right. Which is you, really a little bit bizarre. We, we can actually know? be paralyzed by too many choices and end up not making any choice whatsoever. So too, too many is, is, is a problem, but also too few. Two doesn't seem to be enough. And uh, we, we can talk about that, too. We have lots of examples of that. All right. Well, we're going to be take it to take a quick break here and talk a little bit about more uh, about different options and pricing. But before you go, it's just a good reminder. We'd love to hear from you at TSOE at Verisage dot com uh, pound TSOE. I think you're getting the idea behind those whole TSOE. And if you want just more information about the show, it's Verisage dot com slash TSOE. And we'd love to hear from you and interact with us in any way. So now some messages from the people who pay the bills. As an entrepreneur, you're on an adventure. But there are parts of your business, like revenue and expenses, that don't feel very adventurous. At Sage One, we get it. We give you tools like easy invoicing, simple accounting and reporting, so you can tackle your less exciting tasks by automating them. Stronger control of the numbers means more opportunities for profits. Sage One has integrated payment options that can actually increase your cash flow. Getting paid faster? Yes, please. It's time to take the boring out of business and get back in the action. Visit SageOne.com today. Your free trial is waiting. Are you interested in the topics discussed on the soul of enterprise? Would you like to explore them in more detail? Visit Verisage.com forward slash books for links to Ron Baker's books. Titles such as Pricing on Purpose. Measure what matters to customers. And his latest, Implementing Value Pricing. You can also find a wealth of resources, case studies, and frequently asked questions. Learn more about Ed and Ron and their radio show at verisage.com forward slash T-S-O-E. And follow Ron on LinkedIn. He's one of the influencer bloggers. Do you work in, lead, or own a professional firm? Do you like what you hear from Ron and Ed on the Soul of Enterprise? Come see them live at the Affinia Manhattan Hotel in New York City on August 14th and 15th at the Sage Firm of the Future Symposium. Ron and Ed will help you and your organization make the transformation to a modern professional knowledge firm, one that is paid for value, not time. Visit Verisage.com forward slash firm for more details. That's Verisage.com forward slash firm. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Kless. To find out more about our show, visit Verisage.com. 
You may also tweet us at Verisage. That's V-E-R-A-S-A-G-E. Now, back to the soul of enterprise. Well, Ron, there's a great case study that was done that it, that illustrates our point really well. And it, it, it happened so long ago that a lot of people are not aware of this. For the longest time, Wendy's, the old-fashioned hot and juicy square hamburger store, had the single burger and the double burger on the menu. And, you know, you'd walk into the store and you'd go, well, I don't want to, I don't want to be a pig. I'll, I'll just, I'll just have the single burger. That, that, that would be enough for me. Well, turns out though that the margin on the double burger is significantly higher because in the end it's only like another patty, right? right. So it's, it's really what it comes down to: the same amount of mustard, same amount of everything else. So really, it's just that additional patty, and of course, the price is so much higher that the margin goes way up on the double burger. So the solution to the problem it turned out to be introducing the triple burger. So you kind of walk in and go, "Well, I don't want to be a pig. I won't have the triple burger. The double is just fine." And to this day. You know, Wendy's does not sell a a ton of triple burgers. They sell them. Don't get me wrong. There are people who want the want the full on uh, Wendy's experience with the triple burger, but the, they'll never take the triple burger off because the purpose of the triple burger is not to sell triple burgers, but instead it's to sell the double burger. And right. this is what's 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 known as the anchoring effect. Exactly, and and, and isn't that a smarter strategy than dropping the price? of the double burger to sell more. Just add a triple burger. Not many people will buy it, but it will provide this anchor and it will make the double look that much more palpable. Perfect, perfect example of why supply and demand completely breaks down in this particular case, right? You, because what, what we're doing here is we're offering an additional option that really has no relation to the product, the, 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 the lower product whatsoever in terms of supply and demand. Exactly. Supply and demand can't account for this acceptable range of prices that we're all willing to pay. And one of the ways to present that acceptable range is by giving people choices. This is why you'll see a $14,000 handbag in a Prada store. They don't sell any of them, but it makes that $2,000 handbag seem that much more affordable. And Product stores that have these so-called anchoring items, the expensive items that nobody buys, actually have higher per-customer sales than stores that don't have them. Honey, I saved you 12 grand. Exactly. (laughs) And and you can bet Prada has tested this, right? And have you ever been into a three- or four-star restaurant that had a $10,000 bottle of wine on, on on the wine list? Yeah, yeah, yep, they'll have it, right? And, and, and it might not even be in their cellar, but it, it'll make my Farniente $600 wine that much more palpable, <laughs> and you're more likely to buy that. So that's that whole anchoring effect. And again, this is how we humans make decisions. We're subjective. We're subjected to these types of influences on what we're willing to pay for something. The other one is the framing effect, and this is just as powerful, isn't it? It is, and and it, when used in combination, it's almost irresistible. I think Disney is probably the best at putting these two things together. But the framing effect is is what do you compare it to outside? Like what would be perhaps the next best alternative? And the more famous example that is used is Woolite, right? Woolite, when when I guess it's P and G, right, that develop has develops Woolite. When they set the price for that, they're not comparing it to the other detergents in the line of detergents. 
that they sell Tide and all of these other brands. Woolite is compared to dry cleaning. Right. So that's, they, so, they want you to compare it to dry right. cleaning, so that's how exactly. they frame it. And they even put it in a different bottle. It looks concentrated. It, it's the exact same thing Red Bull did. Had Red oh, Bull, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Had Red Bull put itself in a Coke or a Pepsi-sized can, why would you pay two fifty or three bucks for this? It, I'll just go buy a Coke. Well, put it in a tall, skinny can. It looks like a concentrated energy drink. It's a different category, so there's a different range of acceptable prices in the consumer's mind. And this is the example of the framing effect. Yeah, and there, these are all around too. Starbucks is is famous for this as well. I mean, you 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 pay what three and a half dollars, four dollars for a cup of coffee that you can make at home for a quarter, right? Right. Unless that you 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 have one of those pod coffee machines, and and there's another example, isn't it, of this framing effect? You're comparing that pod coffee. I don't know what's a pod of coffee. You know, the little uh, pods yes. that make one I think, cup of coffee. I think time. when you really, if you go to them at Sam's, you know. <laughs> If you go, if you go full on board, you can get it down to around I don't know thirty, thirty five cents, cents a pod, and, you know? which is a fortune, really, when you compare it to other types of ways that you can brew coffee at home. But you're not comparing it to that; you're comparing it to even Dunkin' Donuts or a Starbucks, and it's looking like a fantastic deal. Yeah, it's do a- yourself a favor; don't take the little lid off of it because you just you just get really upset because there's hardly any in there. It's like what? <laughs> And it's, you know by most, really, it's mostly empty space. <laughs> and you know who's really good at, at doing this? There's a whole science uh, known as menu engineering, restaurant menus, how they frame things, how they put things in context, the words that they use. Do they show a photograph of the meal? Like, for instance, it's really interesting if a lot of menus don't have dollar signs. They don't want to remind you that you're spending money. So they take out the dollar signs, and they've learned that people will spend more if they don't see dollar signs. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm constantly surprised by the higher-end restaurants that I go into that occasionally they will have you know, this 95 or 99 pricing. When, when, I, when I buy a steak, I'm not thinking, oh, I want it for 1995. Right. <laughs> or or even twenty nine ninety five or yeah, it, it's just uh, what I'm I, I, I have as a consumer would much rather see the little, you know, 30 with a line after it. Yeah. Right. That, that makes me feel better about this purchase. I don't you know, twenty nine ninety nine for the steak. No, I want 30 with a line. It, it connotates to me. Oh, this is a good piece of steak. It's high quality. Right? And, and the reverse side of that is, is a price can be too low. Look what happened in the New England states this year with the glut of lobster. A lot of restaurants cut their prices because there was a glut of this stuff. And what happened to lobster sales? They didn't go up. They went down because people started to question the quality of cheap lobster. It, it'd be kind of like buying, you know, sushi from a gas station. It's just not the right framing. Well, whereas barbecue in Texas is oftentimes purchased at the gas station. That's where you get the best barbecue. So. <laughs> That's true. Uh, the, the other thing I think that choices do is if from the consumer's perspective, they change the question from should I do business with this company or should I buy this product or service to how should I buy this product or service, or how should I do business with this company? And that's a very powerful psychological change that's going on in the mind of the consumer. 
that you know this is in a way this is and and this gets to our is this manipulation we'll do should do a show on this is this manipulation or is 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 this assistance because you could really look at it as as giving assistance to people to to buy what they really want to buy giving them proper context and I, I think when done right it it smacks less of manipulation and and more about assisting the buyer in making a, a good choice Right. I, I don't think you can argue manipulation if the customers keep coming back, <laughs> right? I mean, we might be able to manipulate them once, maybe twice, but not repeatedly over time. Yeah, and, exactly. And I, and I think that's, that's where this, this cro- it crosses the line because it, it, can, it can smack of manipulation. I've talked to some people who get upset with me when I talk about this as, oh, you're, you're trying to fool people. No, I mean, but it, it's just the way our brains work, right? When, when you are presented, and it seems to be, again, this magic Goldilocks three pricing, when you're presented with three choices, your brain uh, it starts to think, which one of them should I pick? Yeah, yeah it, it's good. It, there's a technical word, it's called heuristics, right? A mental shortcut, heuristics that we all use. And, and we look at three things and we say, well, the most expensive one is probably a ripoff or it's really probably more than I need. The, the cheapest one is probably not that great, so I'll be safe and stick with the middle one. And it's just kind of a default. Now, that it doesn't apply all the time, but that's our, kind of our default setting. And in fact, that's what we see. When there's three options, most people pick the middle one. Yep. Yep. And, 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 but what is important is that there's lots and lots of studies that say what your choices are on the low and high end will have an influence as to whether the people will go up or down. So it's, it's really, really interesting. Right. And, and, and we didn't get into this too much, Ed, but then you start adding a fourth option to the third and you might be able to take advantage of that anchoring effect and, and drive up sales even more. I mean, I often wonder what would happen if Wendy's had a quadruple cheeseburger. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have to leave that for maybe a conversation for next week. Ron, set up, set up next week's show for us. Well, yeah. tell, tell us what we're going to talk about next week. Yeah, you know, it, it kind of goes back to how we titled the show, folks. We called it The Soul of Enterprise because we wanted to explore the spiritual side of business, not just the material side. Well, our subtitle to the show is Business and the Knowledge Economy, and that's what we're going to talk about next week. Intellectual capital is the chief source of wealth. And you know what? Our traditional financial statements, accountants, they can't, they can't understand this and they can't explain it. So that's what we'll be talking about next week, Ed. Yep, see you in 167 hours, Ron. All right, take care, everybody. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, business and the knowledge economy sponsored by Sage One, online accounting software designed to create freedom for small businesses to succeed. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time or 1 p.m. Pacific Time. In the meantime, feel free to visit us at www.verisage.com slash TSOE.